0: I've got Shane Cox here today to talk about how he busked all the way down the West Coast to New Orleans right after graduating from high school and just skipped the whole thing about going to college. He's a full-time player, a successful Twitch streamer, and he's crushing it on social media. Let's get to it. Welcome to How Musicians Make It. My name's Adam. I'm your host. Today we got Shane Cox on the show. We had a great conversation about his journey coming right out of high school and going pro, moving from New Orleans to the Bay Area and then up to Minneapolis where he is now. A lot of what I love talking about was his views on development. As an early musician, getting some lessons on the bandstand, playing shows, right? Rather than going to school and studying and being in a practice room all the time. It's like going out and applying things you're learning immediately with the shows that you're playing. It's a great mindset. And then also just talking to him about Twitch streaming and how he developed his following there. What kind of things that a musician should do if they want to get into Twitch streaming. He's got some great insights on building that part of his career. And this was just overall a really fun conversation. So here we go with Funky Spud a.k.a. Shane Cox. This podcast is brought to you by Gig Boss, an app that serves as an organizational tool for freelance musicians and band leaders.
1: It's common in some, like, online discussions to uh, shit on, like, modern pop music. I'm just curious what your take is on that. Or maybe we save this for the podcast. But I just, I have my opinion on that opinion. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just curious what you think.
0: I like a lot of pop music. I grew up, liking pop music and I, I like I grew up liking R&B and hip-hop music a lot like that was popular music in the 90s really was R&B and hip-hop music and so I got real into that and then early 2000s I was like super into sync and that's like as pop as it gets
1: yeah. And I, I'm actually a, just a huge fan of modern produ- production. Like I was, man, just recently, I think I was like putting on like Miley Cyrus and Harry Styles and I was like watching their videos, had the headphones on. And it was like an experience. I was moved by the sound design, you know, it like really takes you on a trip. Um, yeah. yeah. And, it, and it's funny. Cause on a lot of these videos, uh, you go into the comments and like, man, pop music today sucks, but this is good. And then you watch the <laughs> next one. And it's the same sentiment. It's like, there's actually a lot of really cool stuff being produced totally. at the highest level.
0: I mean, it's like any genre. It's like there. somebody was just – I just saw somebody post that like, just remember that three-fourths of rap is trash. And I was like, okay, yeah, so is three-fourths <laughs> of jazz, so is three-fourths of rock and roll, so is three-fourths. like you're going to have to sift through a lot of trash to find good stuff in whatever genre. And even some of that stuff that's trash – ends up becoming super popular and it is what it is but there's a lot of great pop music today happening for sure and in history i mean undeniably you know
1: i watched the uh i watched the last episode you did with um i actually didn't know him but the hippocampus um, oh yeah whistler yeah yeah that's cool i was uh, i was gonna make the joke that you interviewed robin because he was like in the flying Grayson's. That blew my mind. That's so yeah, funny. Yeah, isn't that, that awesome? could just be in a circus.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's awesome. And they actually, I ended up, when I was in town and came and hung at your place, a couple, the night before, I was hanging with Whistler, because my brother-in-law knows him really well, too. And we were both out at Insight Brewing. And he was texting Whistler, like, come over and hang. And then Whistler came, and then he brought us to his studio, the Hippocampus Studio, which is like four blocks from insight. So it was fun to see their space. That was a cool little thing to get a look into what hippocampus purchased and you know, right. What they're working with gear wise. I took some video, but I figured I didn't want to like post anything without permission. Sure. I
1: got a little bit, of heat exhaustion yesterday. Uh, it was like a hundred degrees and I just had to keep running errands all day. And I started getting all brain foggy. So these ice drinks are just like, I'm 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 down in them all day. You're, reco-
0: you're in recovery
1: a little bit, yeah. Did you Did you have a gig? Like, did
0: you march a parade in that weather?
1: You know, last year I did do exactly that, and I actually yeah. ended up going to the hospital because I thought I was dying. Um, and what it w- probably was is it was a mix of the heat exhaustion, and then also, I didn't know I had Lyme's disease at that point, and that's Holy kind of smokes. been. Yeah. That's been the story of my last year because I had it for seven years and then I figured out that that's what was going on. And so I went through treatment for like three or four months and I'm just now on like week three of feeling healthy. Um, so yeah, crazy,
0: man. That's horrible. So, so you were just lethargic for seven years. Like and didn't know why is that that's one of the symptoms, right? Of Lyme's disease
1: yeah dude. I was I was lethargic and had brain fog. and those symptoms are so funny because I feel like you can just go through your day to day and just think, well, I guess I'm lazy and stupid. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess this is just how I am. but so actually getting the diagnosis at first was like kind of a relief because I'm like, oh, there's like I don't have to feel like this because this doesn't feel okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't have to feel like this. And then, uh, and now that I'm kind of feeling healthy, I'm telling people I feel like 110% because I didn't even know I could feel this good. I'm like, I'm practicing, I'm getting music videos scheduled, I'm like recording, I'm doing yeah. all the things that I love. And it's just like, man, feeling healthy changes everything. Totally. Totally. Yeah.
0: I'm glad to hear you're feeling better. Uh, yeah. T- tell me, I, I want to know more about you. I've been researching your stuff. There have been a couple of storylines that have just like people have been like, oh, did you know this about Shane? Did you know that about Shane? And so I'd love to talk about some of those things. One, you like, you went pro right out of high school, right? You're like LeBron James, right? Like, <laughs> didn't go to music school. You were just like, I'm going to play. How, Like, what was that transition like? Like, where did you, did you, did you grow, grow up in the Midwest-ish or something and then move yeah. down to New Orleans? Is that right? Yeah. So I grew
1: up in Boise, Idaho. Okay. And I think this is going to, there's no way of saying this. That sounds right. I think I might've been one of the most like natural talents to ever exist in Boise. And I was like, you know what? (laughs) I just want, I want to see what it's like in a big city. That's the first thing I want to do before I go to college. So the the plan still was originally to go to college and I, I applied to Berkeley and, um, got accepted and I applied to University of Idaho which had a good jazz program and then just like when I was a few weeks out I just I I kind of got uh cold feet about it was thinking like I don't know if I want to pay my way into a city I just want to go see what it's like yep and so I went busking across the country which um for those who don't know is just playing on the street so yeah I had done some of that in Boise at like farmers markets but I was like let's go down like the coast of California and then Go to the Mecca
0: of busking, which is New Orleans. Wow. And see and see how that goes. What was your uh, busking setup like? Did you have a like a looper like you use now? Were you looping stuff? It was me and a banjo player. Oh, okay. And so he would play banjo
1: and sing, and I would play trombone and trumpet, and I'd play a tambourine with my foot. Hmm. Um, and then he had a dog. And the dog matters because people love a cute dog.
0: Yeah so that's that's how you're getting paid people come to pet the dog and then drop a couple dollars into the yeah exactly banjo case
1: especially if you're playing in like a a town like close to bars or like drunk people are kind of stumbling
0: out yeah pet the dog so how long did that last before you landed in new orleans
1: yeah that's a good question um it was a few months of sleeping in the car wow yeah. You know, it it was it was crazy cuz uh you save so much money sleeping in the car. <laughs> so I actually at the time felt like I was stacked. I had no sense of money, but I'm just like I have hundreds of dollars. Like literally I can never run through this. Like I'm I'm so set. So um that's Amazing. actually how I bought the slide trumpet. I've got a slide trumpet on my back wall. Yes. I bought it with the the profits I made from busking down the coast of California. Wow. Yeah. And so I did that for a few months and then um, went to New Orleans. So that was, yeah, that was 2013. I graduated in 2012 and then I was in New Orleans for about a year. And uh, that was a whole different world. Yeah, Um, it, It turns out by being one of the, greatest natural talents to come out of Boise that lands you roughly in the bottom 5% talent wise in New Orleans.
0: (laughs) You know, I I was going to ask, like, it seems like you're being facetious when you say that. And so I I was going to say, like, do you think that because you came from a town like Boise, Idaho, that like being a big fish in a smaller pond helped you confidence wise to just be like, screw it. I'm just going to go do it.
1: Yeah, it must have. It must have. And I, I don't know if I would change anything. I've lived in big cities since. Yep. I think that still was like the right path for me.
0: But but yeah. I, definitely... love, like, I love that. I think that's such a bold move. And, and in a lot of ways, like when you get older and you start to know more about the ins and outs of things, you become less, uh, I don't know, like less likely to do a move, like to do a thing like that. Uh, and I, I think a big reason is that like naivety can really be a strength. They talk, we talk about this a lot in like tech startups like we, you get into a tech startup you're like i'm going to i have this big idea but you have no idea what it's going to take to accomplish the thing and that's really a strength. If you knew how much work it was going to be you'd be like i'm out, right? There's a lot of like older entrepreneurs are like nope, i know how much work that's going to take. So it's like interesting to me that you're you're just like peace out, you're right out of high school you you busk all the way down to new orleans and then in new orleans you're obviously, you're around some heavy music, and, and what what kind of stuff did you learn once you got to New Orleans and started playing with those musicians? Okay, I, so
1: one of the biggest things that I learned is that music is auditory, because mm. when I was in Boise, I got by being a really good sight reader, so... I Anytime music was put in front of me like I remembered like being in jazz band and music would be put in front of me And I'd be playing it so loud and confidently sight reading it I was just like I got this yep. and then in New Orleans I remember like I was playing in Jackson Square And one of the drummers was like you're playing that melody wrong And I was like <laughs> no 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 I'm pretty sure I'm playing it right and I played the notes for him and he was like I can't tell you exactly what it is but it sounds wrong and um and that's when I realized I was in the world of like he's just hearing it and it's yep. not it's not doing it. Right. I might I might even be technically playing it right. I might be able to find sheet music that backs me up. But he was telling me this this feels off. He was basically telling me you sound like a white kid trying to play this music. Sure. Like you got to figure that out. And um and when you're in a brass band the other thing too is how how much you're learning by ear like like someone's playing a background riff and you got to immediately like three part harmony that riff, Yep. Underneath a soloist, yep. Um, I I had none of those skills, so yeah. so yeah. I I don't I don't think I read any music in the entire year that I lived in New Orleans. It was all, it was all just listening and and growing my ears and yeah. mimicking a vibe, you know.
0: That's school right there. Yeah, exactly. That's what we do in school, right? It's like we go to recordings, and we transcribe and we listen and we learn things by ear and develop our ears. That was a big part of schooling for me, for sure. Yeah. But even but even with that background, when I started playing with Jack Brass Band, it was like oh, I have to learn all these tunes. It was like a different it was a different thing. And like you're saying picking out harmonies, like knowing what the key center is, knowing what kind of harmonies could work. It's like I developed that well after going to school. So it's cool that you just got that. It's like you get to New Orleans and you start working on those skills. Yeah. One thing I really love about
1: my my journey in general is that everything that I learned was always being applied live for an audience. Yep. Yep. And and they talk about that in comedy and in in music and any field. Like just getting those live reps is so important. And so, you know, even when I was busking initially, I was working out of the jazz theory book by Mark Levine. Mm-hmm but um it was immediately like oh here's like a flat nine concept and that day i was like trying to see how it would work and then i was like listening to recordings and being like wait like how how does that work and you know and piecing it together like on the fly where like one of, one of the, one thing that i um that i look back on is i i went back to boise this was maybe timelines timelines are getting rough, but I remember going back to Boise and I remember people that I'd gone to school, high school with had gone to like U of I, University of Idaho and come yep. back and they were telling me, man, this like theory class I take, this theory instructor is the, the best and he like blew my mind how he talks about music. And I was like, oh, like that's, that's crazy that you had such an experience and we were playing together and they weren't better. And maybe that was going to happen for them. Sure. But I remember thinking that, in that moment, they were so um, engrossed with the educational aspect of music, where I had just been doing it. Yep,
0: and um, it's much just, better to just do it. I, yeah, I think I'm a, I'm a think, believer in that big time.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's I like, think the results get, it, kind get of, in it. Yeah, you got to do it. You you, you got to be putting it into practice. You can't over intellectualize it. You got to just be. You got to be getting your hands dirty.
0: Yeah, I definitely feel like a lot of what I learned intellectually. I didn't really realize until much later. Like I didn't wasn't able to apply that kind of those kinds of things that I learned to my playing. And it was really just like playing gigs all the time that was the big development thing. It was just like playing, 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 playing. I was developing in a lot of different contexts. And then later on I go, Oh, this is what my teacher was talking about when he said X, Y, and Z. It was like I wasn't ready to hear a lot of it. Yeah. Can can I be vulnerable?
1: Yeah, please. I'm 29. This year is the first year where I have started applying the altered scale. Nice. I learned about this when I was 18. I read, I read about the melodic minor modes. Yep. And I listened to jazz. And this year is the first year where I'm kind of like, oh, I see how it works now. Finally, yep. <laughs> it was like a big, uh, it was like a big moment for me. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I you know that's another thing too for me. It's like I you know about something intellectually, and then you're not applying it. You're not that you know it's it's one thing if you're a saxophone player and you can kind of shred for eight hours a day, you take some Adderall and just like just like but like on trumpet, it's like you're you get diminishing returns so fast. Like tone production is such a big thing. Brass playing in general, it's just like you'll you'll screw your face up if you play too much, and so I really felt like part of my being behind in some of that stuff some of the harmony things, I was applying those things as a writer very quickly. It was like much different to like write the music and go like, I'm applying this thing that I learned. But like when you're in an improvisation context and you meet a dominant chord and you go, wait, what's the sharp five? What's the flat nine? What's the, what's the sharp nine? Wait, what's that scale I can use again? The diminished whole tone scale or the altered scale, right? It's like shortening the the time between being in a spot where you could use it and then actually having it flow out you know, it's like there's I tell my students all the time, like you're you're reacting to the chord. And by the time you react to the chord, it's gone. It's like you have to anticipate the thing coming. And so part of that, too, is internalizing the music, knowing that it's coming, all that, which is which really comes from like listening and doing.
1: Yeah. And, and what you said about the tone production, that's been such a overwhelming large part of my journey as someone trying to play trumpet trombone tuba yep just getting all of those vibrations to occur without hating myself yeah yeah i've tried to switch
0: between tuba and trumpet and it's very very hard and i'm wildly impressed by people that do it and now i've watched a couple of your streams and i'm like i've seen guys in new orleans do this too where they put the tuba down and pick up the trumpet and wail or like trombone shorty of course he's like switching between trombone and trumpet but, you know, it was fun to watch you switch and just immediately sound like a trumpet player. And I was like, man. But you were doing that, you're, you're, were you doing that on stage a little bit where you were playing all the instruments? Were you switching between things in New Orleans or were you sticking to one on a gig?
1: Yeah, in New Orleans, I, I guess I did find myself more regularly in situations where I was, I was playing one because there's so many good brass players. So if there's three trombones and a trumpet, you know, I want I want to help with the trumpet part. Yeah. But the the switching back and forth I was doing when I was busking with the the banjo player initially, I was doing that a lot as a way to get eyes on me. I would be like battling myself.
0: Hmm.
1: So, yeah, I was I was getting reps doing
0: the worst thing you can do in brass. I mean, it's it's a struggle. <laughs> Which is funny to say because it's like who decides what's good and what's bad? There's a lot of trumpet teachers that are very militaristic about how you should play and Brass players, probably in general, there's a lot of, like, it has to be this way. And then it's like, I I have said this before, but the first time I went down to New Orleans and I I watched and, and listened to those trumpet players, I went like, oh, you can play trumpet like that? Like, I didn't even know you could play trumpet like that. You know, it's like I had heard Louis Armstrong, of course, but, like, hearing, like, Kabuki in person and, like, watching the weird... Ambusher thing but then hearing the amazing wall of sound that comes out of the horn you're like oh i guess there's a lot of ways you could you could play this thing and it's and it's fine it's like these are people making careers in music much more than all these people who are playing the trumpet better than them coming out of colleges right there it's like these are the people that are actually making a living doing this thing and they're not playing the way that my teacher told me to play at all yeah, you know, it's, like, it's interesting. It kind of opens your mind up and go go like, oh, yeah, you know, maybe there isn't just one way to make this work. Yeah. Even uh,
1: Miles Davis said something similar when he went to Gucci Festival, he, um, which is like uh, Eastern European Balkan brass band music. And he said, yep. I did. I didn't know that the trumpet could make those noises. Just a totally <laughs> different world. Yeah. He, he's a very open minded guy. He's a guy that like, you know, obviously learned about music from different parts of the world. Um, yep. he sought that out but even he was like oh I didn't even know that was possible because it's like it's totally different there when they're yeah. playing their like folk music and it's in 7-8 and they're doing their ornaments and they're like Baroque ornaments on steroids just the most insane
0: that music's it's, awesome man
1: it's so cool yeah.
0: yeah I'm a big Dave Douglas fan too and I think he was pretty influenced by that stuff based on how his music sounds or has sounded in the past I'm curious, like, how long were you in New Orleans, and when did you decide to make the move? Did you go from New Orleans to the Bay Area? Yeah, I
1: was. I was there for about a year, and um, while I was there, this this young trombone player from England was uh, on vacation with his family, <clears throat> so he was like sitting in with brass bands, and uh, and I was I was kind of showing him some of the harmonies while he was sitting next to me, and and I played some trumpet too, and I think he had voiced some interest in trumpet. And so his family hired me to go back to England and live with them for a month to teach him trombone.
0: Whoa! <laughs>
1: yeah, and they, so they were an English family, but they actually even lived on a military base in Germany. So I went to I went to Germany as well.
0: And oh my goodness!
1: Yeah, that was that was crazy. And so, um, I'm on, I'm gonna start naming names. Uh, his name was Tom Wiggins, the okay. the young trombone player. And they had made friends with a brass band leader in California by the name of Tom Wiggins. <clears throat> they found each other because they had the same name, same and name. they were <laughs> and they were both interested in New Orleans brass band music. So California Tom Wiggins knew about me teaching this young trombone player, and said, "Well, if he ever wants a wants a job playing New Orleans brass band music, he can come stay with me." And so then that was my in to California. I just I, I wow. flew straight to California and lived with him.
0: Wow. Yeah. And so that's how you started playing in the California scene. How long were you in California? Yeah, like eight years, I think. So that's a stretch. So oh, you're yeah. playing full-time this whole time?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I've ever had a non-music job, um, which I'm very grateful for because I love it. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so when I moved there, I mean, if I'm being totally honest, I feel like I had kind of like my uh, my college dicking off kind of phase initially where i was like i'm comfy i'm in a home huge upgrade i've been sleeping out of a car i've been sleeping on couches i'm in a home with a bed that's pretty sick and i've got gigs semi-regularly so um that was one of the least productive first years of my life (laughs) and then uh and then it's funny because i was so comfortable but i realized that um comfortable wasn't happy comfortable was just comfortable yeah but it, it was kind of depressing honestly um and so then I started getting the motivation actually to start taking my practicing a lot more seriously. In New Orleans, I learned how to use my ear, but the the physical thing we were just talking about of really understanding how to make good sound production, it wasn't really happening for me. And uh, I was on a gig with this band, with this, with this brass band, and there's a sax player who is like amazing. Just, he was like mid-60s, just had like had been on the road knew how to play the heck out of a saxophone was also equally good on guitar wow and he told me hey uh you sound like shit <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and and it's funny because i was at that age where like i was like i was in that year of comfortable where i knew something wasn't right i knew i wasn't getting that self actualization and hearing that actually really woke me up and kind of inspired me and i was like I want to know what you mean by that. I want to really know what you mean because this is all I really want to do. I do think I want to be a good musician. I want to do this for a living. And and my playing at that point had kind of developed into this like, how do I get eyes on me quickly kind of style where I was playing really loud, really aggressive, but wasn't necessarily always in tune or like matching the vibe of what other people were doing. And especially as a younger guy, if I'm playing in a brass band with a bunch of like, older guys from like fifties to sixties and we're playing like a Dixieland song. And I just come in and I rip over everything. It's like, ah, you're not really reading the room, dude. Like you're, you know, that part of it, that nuance. Yep. Yep. Um, And so he, uh, I, I kind of made him my mentor. I was just like, tell me, tell me everything, tell me what to do. And he was like, well, you know, listen to these guys and try to mimic these tones and like just kind of exposed me to like, why like like playing trumpet like Miles Davis, you know, telling oh, yeah. my only experience at that point was like the New Orleans trumpet style. But it was also like, hey, there's other stuff here. And uh, that was like the beginning of my of my growth as a musician where like it, it really skyrocketed. I was really studying the music at that point.
0: Yeah, I always dig it when older cats are like. I mean, you sound like shit's pretty direct, but like when they give you when they give you that some that I mean, that's a gift. Like, yeah. You got some shit to work out, man. Like, yeah. Anytime somebody has said that to me in history, I've been like, oh, really? What, what, like, what do I got to do? What should I do? You know? And that's helpful. It's like, you can go to the lab and you can, you can work. You got to have thick skin. It's like, it's helpful to, you can't just fall apart when somebody says you're messing something up, you know? I think I was lucky where,
1: um, like in the movie Whiplash, yeah. I think there was this line about like, um, like, are you concerned? Like, I don't, I'm going to misquote it, but it was something about the teacher being so hard on his students. And like, is there a concern about you making people quit music like Charlie Parker? Like, and he was like, well, Charlie Parker would never quit. I think was generally his sentiment is that yeah? once someone's dedicated, like, if they're really serious about it, there's nothing you can say to make them quit. And so yeah. I don't, I don't think of myself like that. But I, what I will say is that at that point, I had made the decision that I was committed to being an excellent musician. Right. So, um, when someone tells me that I sound horrible, um, I can just take that for what it is and be like, well, I would rather that not be the case. I'm considering the source. I respect you as a musician. Let's work on it. Like, let's, let's make that not the case. You know, it has nothing to do with my validity as a human, but I'm committed to being a good musician. Like let's, let's fix that. I love to hear it. It is a gift.
0: Yeah. And that's a really healthy mindset to have. I think related to yourself and just being like, be kind to yourself and go, all right, Let's let's go to work, you know. Yeah. So what, what kind of stuff did you do while you were in California? Were you playing a wide range of styles? Were you reading and playing by ear? Did you do studio stuff? Yeah, it was a good mix.
1: Um that was where I started learning how to be a professional because I started playing wedding bands mm-hmm. and I started, yeah, I started doing a wider variety of stuff, um, corporate events and uh learning how to show up on time, do my homework, know my music and you know, because I'm switching instruments, it would be like, well, in the morning you've got a brass band gig on tuba. And then in the evening you're playing a wedding on trumpet. So like do your homework ahead of time so that you're not just like super confused or like, right. Even the physical part of it, like doing the warm up and kind of, kind of being more structured with how I went about my days. That's when I started like using a day planner and, uh, being organized and, uh, yeah, yeah, and and yeah, the the styles, the the mix of styles I got to do is really cool because I played in a cumbia band that was nice. uh, doing festivals, and then I was doing uh, Balkan brass music with a with a brass band out there, and actually I'm um, I, I still play with them. I'm going back in a couple of weeks to play with them. And cool, it, we we kind of touched on that earlier. That music is so cool and so out there and different.
0: Yep. So. so so when did it become You're couch surfing? You're living in cars. You're living in a dude's house. When did you go? Like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it here. It's time for me to get my own place. That changes the game a little bit, right? It's like you got different kinds of expenses. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um,
1: <laughs> well, I, I named him by name. Um, he was awesome, and he really afforded me the opportunity to live in California. Um, but I, well, I think it was also just part of that. Like, I was getting too comfortable, and I needed the, the, the excitement of life. Yep. and i think as i started playing other gigs he was kind of like well if you're living with me and you're not even taking my gigs like that's not going to work out like you got to take my gigs i was like oh, i want to play other gigs so it was kind of that that made me like want to move out because i didn't want to just play with the same brass band my whole life you know so right right right, right. so it kind of just seemed like part of the contract is like well if i want to commit to other projects i got to figure it out um so that was like the impetus if that was the question like that was that's kind of what got me out out the door and becoming an adult.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah. Cool. So you're in the Bay Area 7-8 years. You moved to Minneapolis. When did, when did the Minneapolis move? Actually, what what I want to hear about is like when did Twitch streaming start for you or like social media activity in general. Was like you're really active, you got a lot of people following you on TikTok. Yeah. Uh, but the twitch streaming thing seems to be like something that you're doing a lot uh when did when did that stuff start in your journey so uh, th- this
1: uh this question also is going to touch on why I moved to Minneapolis so this thing happened in 2020 and it was called the COVID-19 pandemic my goodness yeah um yeah and and when that happened in California I was like living in my apartment with my now wife and it was a shared house and it was very close to other houses and it was in this part of Berkeley that was becoming more and more like busy and kind of starting to feel like San Francisco is getting very crowded so there's no gigs my wife's taking like business calls in the house I'm like not allowed to practice everything felt very small and it was like I gotta I gotta get out of here because also I had practice studios that I was renting and those uh all shut down so it, oh my goodness yeah it was it was feeling I was I was freaking out I, I was not liking that so I I kind of forced us to make the decision like where where are we trying to be because we knew we were never going to buy property in California it's uh we're not tech workers so right. it was never gonna happen yeah and then Minnesota it's so funny I think it was just like she had a couple friends and then I was playing with Javi Santiago who, yeah yeah. Yeah, and so he got me in touch with Riley and uh, Riley Helgeson. I want to shout these people. I love these people. Scott Axter and Nelson Devereaux. And so when I moved out out here, those were the first people I hit up and started making all those connections. But as part of that, too, without working, um, I wanted to keep performing. And I had been on Twitch, I think, a little bit, but the music part was really popping off, like a lot of musicians migrated to twitch around that time so i got the loop station i don't know if it's in no it's not in shot but i got my i got my little loop station it has like five tracks and all these effects and i started learning that instrument like getting really deep into it and doing studying on that and then once i started uh pressing live on like the go streaming uh on obs i was just like this is awesome i can do whatever i want here i can play jazz i can play new orleans brass band all by myself i can do uh you know, EDM and uh, that it's just, it's just so much fun. Like having complete control over, uh, over the music that you create. And so, yeah, i just, I had so much fun that kind of carried me through it. It wasn't even like, Oh, I better make money off this. But it was like, I love doing this so much fun.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I listened to an interview with the guy who created the like Twitch music thing uh, once Twitch was already happening for like video games and stuff, right. It was like people right. were live streaming video game stuff. And he also is the same guy who built Spotify analytics. So like if anybody does Spotify for artists and looks at all these various analytics, it's really slick. Same guy built that. And he was talking about how musicians really only needed a couple hundred fans and could make something like thirty, forty thousand $40,000 a year based on these subs. Right. Uh, how long did it take for you and i guess i got a lot of questions surrounding this do you do these streams regularly yeah um like on a regular schedule
1: this is gonna be the first time where i ask you what we talked about on stream versus before you press record um did i talk about the lyme's disease thing you did talk about lyme's disease okay because yes i was doing them regularly and then that's kind of what like really hampered my momentum more than anything else. So yeah, I was streaming like three or four times a week really regularly um, up until I would say a few months ago where my relationship with Twitch changed a little bit because of because of those kind of health issues I was having. Um, three times so start, a week though, that's a lot. Yeah, no, I was getting after it. I mean, it's a sweaty show. I'm in this room and I'm going as hard as I can and I'm just, I'm exhausted after it, especially when I was like, dealing with this fatigue and I didn't know what it was. And yep. I'd be like, well, I got a stream. I got to do it. And I'd get after it and do like a two or a three hour show up to five hours I've done of just playing music front to back. And it's, uh, wow. It gave me a lot of endurance. I feel like coming out of the pandemic, I had practiced more than anybody else. I knew just, yeah, you were ready to go. Yeah, totally.
0: So how quickly did you build an audience there? You, you have a, f- a few thousand people that follow you on on twitch yeah do i mean like all of those people don't watch every single stream sure yeah like how, how long did it take for you to build a following was it a matter of months it was pretty quick um I, I i never really spent
1: any time like below 10 viewers like there's a few different like kind of um steps in like building the audience and like usually when you start out you don't know anybody and then when once you get to 10 viewers you're kind of in it and then 30 viewers feels like another um, milestone. I didn't spend a lot of time in the beginning one because I spent a lot of time leading up to my first streams getting to know people on Twitch music. And that that was a big part of it. It was like spending time in other people's chats, asking questions from the streamers, like and like supporting them and kind of uh, just getting to know, um, just keeping my eyes and ears open, you know, just like anything else. Um, And that really helps because... I was just gonna say being a part of the community. You're being a part of the community. A hundred percent. And that's that's the thing not to overlook as a musician. Um it's really there's no version of this where you just do it on your own. You know, you gotta Right. You you gotta you gotta acclimate and get to know people and be friendly, and that's it's part of it. So same thing goes for Twitch. Um, I got to know a lot of people, and there's some really cool features on Twitch where uh there's one in particular where someone can rage you, they can bring their viewers over to you after they stream. So getting to know all of these people and being like, oh, I'm actually going to stream for the first time next week. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. And then first stream, you know, I'm getting raids. So like my first stream, I had like 40, 50 viewers. And so some of those people followed. Some of those people come back. Most of them don't. That's okay. But you're you're kind of now part of the, the scene and you can do like collaborations with other Twitch streamers. And I think just being part of the community was a huge part of like getting getting that growth um yeah so that's how i did it and yeah. uh it, it built pretty quickly i would say like i my, my early streams even kind of like looked janky and the sound wasn't always great um i've, I've right. learned a lot since then but it was just being a part of the community putting on a fun show and uh kind of just feels like that's that's that was the only thing i had to concern myself with and that was enough
0: yeah do you do you mind revealing like what percentage of your income comes from twitch or or something related to what kind of money you're making on that like the part of the idea behind this podcast is to kind of like pull back the curtain on how musicians actually do this thing oh, and yeah. pay their bills so if you're if you're comfortable with that like what 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 kind of impact has twitch streaming had on on your like your you know end game of of paying bills and making it well, yeah, during the pandemic, it was kind of
1: the thing for a minute. Um, I guess there was maybe some teaching, but I think I peaked at I think I had some payouts over a thousand dollars, which was cool. That yeah, was, is that was that like in a month? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they okay. pay out once a month. And then um on average, I think it's been around six or seven hundred dollars, which when I'm also doing teaching and gigging, it's cool. That's it's huge. cool i can make that money in my room like that's that's pretty cool That's um, so,
0: huge yeah. yeah
1: so it's not like it's not thousands i never got to the highest level i never got partner um um like i said the the health issues made it hard for me to be as consistent as i wanted to be but i yep. still i still really stuck it out and i still really pushed for it and i think that that's like um a pretty respectable number i like i i love that i was able to um get that much support being kind of the only guy doing brass streams on Twitch um it's mostly Yeah,
0: that's <laughs> wild to me. I I considered doing Twitch a t- couple of years ago. Like when I heard this interview, I was like, man, I should get on there and do it. But then part of me was like I I don't know, there's like this whole uh, I could be careful with what I say, I guess. There's this whole like nerd culture on the internet that I feel like is a like twitch video games like that's a part of the culture of anime it's just like (laughs) it's like my students all like self-described nerds and they love all this kind of stuff and that's really not the background i come from so i wondered like and this is something i wanted to ask you too for anyone listening that's like not somebody who hangs out on discord and not somebody who uses twitch regularly how much of a leap is it for somebody like that to go like i'm gonna start streaming on twitch is it just a matter of I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it consistently. Or we talked about creating community a little bit, being in other people's streams, seeing how it works.
1: Yeah. You gotta, you gotta do the community part. Um, I wish I could say it's like, no, everyone should do it. If you have a camera go live. Um, But no, I think that's kind of the the wrong mindset. Cause if you go to like, I mean, this is, this is nerd dumb. If you go to the Twitch subreddit and you hear people talking (laughs) about Twitch on Reddit, it's a lot of people trying to hype each other up. Like, Man, I'm only averaging one or two viewers, and I've been doing it five hours a day. Like, what do I do? And people in the chat, in the comments, are like, "Just keep grinding, man." And it's like, no, like you can't, you can't just keep pushing if it's not working. Um, yep. You gotta, you gotta join the community, see what works. Like I, I started learning a lot about video game music, um, and luckily yep. I was very inspired by it, so I enjoyed doing that. I also am who I am. And I'm the trumpet, trombone, tuba, one-man band guy that does funk and brass band music. So, like, that was never going to change, but um, I did acclimate a little bit. I I learned the ins and outs of, like, how to engage the audience. Yep. Um, one really cool thing about Twitch is channel points. So the longer someone spends in your chat, the more channel points they get. And you can choose how those points can get redeemed. And so one of my favorite redeems is they'll I, if they if they accrue enough points they can get me to play derude sandstorm so i play derude sandstorm almost every stream and it's hilarious nice. and when i play derude sandstorm i quote other meme songs there's always a rick roll i'm yeah, always playing yeah. you, you know like um 1000 miles i just i quote these like meme songs as part of that so
0: yeah i just saw a video of you quoting like all-star or something yeah yeah, and,
1: and and that was actually one of my most successful TikToks. Right, was, uh, was doing that. So right, right. Yeah, that's the it, video I saw. Yeah. So, and ent- entering that uh that meme culture, it paid off. I guess I don't know. I got recognition or whatever that means. You know.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's very cool. So, do, what what do you have to do with trombone camp, champ? Trombone champ. Is that, that your thing? That's so funny, dude. You did some research. Yeah. Well, what is what's going on with trombone <laughs> champ Did, so i see that i'm giving copies away you're saying yeah and I've, i saw some videos of you doing it it looks visually like the old guitar hero stuff or like you know whatever those games you can get in arcades that you have to match the piano keys or whatever trombone champ tell me about it
1: so yeah huge shout out to the holy wow they're like um an indie video game developer and they made okay. this game Trombone Champ. It's like Guitar Hero for trombone and the <laughs> second I saw it, I knew that it was made for me and so I actually reached out and was like, "Hey, could I give away some copies on my stream?" and they Oh, okay. So they were very generous and they gave that to me and it's also just such a hilarious game. I think uh I think yeah, there's some videos of me playing that game on on TikTok that did really well as well just cuz it's uh it's kind of making fun of the thing, like the how fickle the slide is in like trying to find pitch. Yeah. So it ends up sounding usually pretty, pretty horrid, but in a very comical <laughs> way. And uh, I love that game. That's so so funny that you brought that up. But yeah, that was one of the the brief forays into video game twitch that i made where i was actually sure. playing video games on twitch
0: yeah that's a great what a great way to like marry the, what the thing is for and and the thing that you do i love that and i love that you had the foresight to reach out to them and go like hey let me give away i've got an audience let me give away some copies i mean that's a cool thing that you can do for your streamers and it's great for the company and it's sort of like a sponsorship thing have you gotten any other sponsorship deals through what you do no i should ask more yeah that one just that's a great lesson right it's like if you ask the the open mouth gets fed right isn't this
1: a hundred percent yeah i i honestly didn't expect them to get back to me but uh they did quite quickly they're like yeah take five copies let us let us know if you need more and i'm just like oh i should ask more yeah i'm curious um about your experience with getting brand deals because there's a lot of brands that i've had loyalty to and i'm like wondering like should i should i be reaching out how do i do that
0: yeah you know i'm sponsored by edwards the uh, gets in you know, yeah. their like, custom line and they, they had been following me so they reached out to me and said hey we've been following your music for a while we'd love you to be an artist do you want to come by and check it out and then it's like they don't do a whole lot you know it's like they'll if you do clinic work uh, guest artist things which I do a lot of they'll pay you a little bit of money to, when you go do those events to like bring some you know you'll bring some flyers that show Edwards horns or whatever I know for sure that like Five, eight trumpet players have bought X-13s because of me. So, like, I know for sure they're getting some money from from me getting my horn for very cheap. But, yeah, they're like $5,000 trumpets, and they let me pay $1,200, I think it was, and then I paid. they let me pay $100 a month for 12 months to, to buy it. So that made it doable. For me, like, I remember feeling like, at the time, there's no way I'm buying a new trumpet because everything that I want to buy is way out of my price range. And I'm a professional full-time trumpet player, so if everything's out of my price range, then everything's probably out of every trumpet player that matters range. So how do people get horns? It's like they get sponsorships or they work at a bank and they don't play full-time. You know, it's like <laughs> – Yeah. That's the reality. It's like the people buying those horns are not professionals. You know, I remember someone <laughs> – uh, Jason Harrelson, you know, a great horn maker, he posted, like, why does everyone play these horrible trumpets? And I, I almost went in the comments section, like I'm typically not like a troll someone in the comments, but I am like, dude, your horns are $10,000. Nobody that's a full-time trumpet player that's good at trumpet can afford your shit. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. I've I've reached out to people, you know, in other scenes too, pedal companies, just to be like, hey, you know, there was a a recording device that a couple people in Minneapolis kind of got for free because they would do some videos. And so I reached out to them and I met with a couple people. I was like a, uh, a product tester for this new MIDI trumpet that you run through DAWs and you can give it any sound and oh, yeah. you just blow, and it's it's pretty cool. Um, It's called Digi Brass. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, little things like that, but I really haven't had anything major. I mean, other than the Edwards sponsorship, I haven't had anything major in terms of that kind of stuff, you know but i remember going to people who had sponsorships and going how did you get that sponsorship what did you send them and they would like forward me their one sheet that they made with everything that they do and that they send to companies so people just will, will just make a one sheet yeah. and email it to somebody and go hey can i can i become a you know artist on your bass line or whatever i think it's and, really common with basses and guitars yeah yeah i think you're
1: right but that's another lesson also i think just um not being afraid to ask uh when you're when you're when you're curious Uh, because like i I, i'm i'm a very like individualist kind of person i think that's that, that that's served me in a lot of ways like practicing and getting good at instruments but as i've been uh releasing music and working working on like building an audience on twitch and other social medias and even just thinking about this kind of stuff i've started reaching out to people that um i thought were out of reach like i was asking a friend of mine from california Well, I'm calling him a friend now because he was so gracious, but he, he releases so much music and has uh, had like music placed in huge commercials and he does it full time. And I was like, Oh, like, how do you like, what's your method for song releases? He was telling me about the waterfall strategy Yeah, and, uh, like very gracious with his time and someone who I thought wouldn't be like that could afford not to be with how busy they seem to be.
0: Um, yeah. But yeah, you should always probably just ask more than you think. Um, I think a lot of people are willing to give away secrets. You yeah, know, are willing to talk about it and help. Like they I think know so. they see that you're on the same journey they were on. And I certainly feel that way. If anybody asks me anything, I'm like, I'm an open book. I'll tell you everything. I want you to succeed too. In my mind, your your success, it's like it lifts everybody up. You know, and yeah. uh, I've always try to live by that mindset a rising tide lifts all boats uh rather than the other way around yeah couldn't agree more yeah i love it like when when someone
1: comes to me and they tell me that they're like a tortured trumpet player and they're just like yeah what like what do you do to play high notes or to like have endurance i'm just like yes let's go like
0: Uh... i'm I'm gonna i'll give it all to you like please I was texting with DiCarlo and he was like I think I'm going to take some high note lessons from Shane. <laughs> he <laughs> like, "Can I get his number?" I was like, "Yeah, sure."
1: Yeah, we were chatting. I was giving him uh I was giving him the rundown on Flexus by Lori Frank. That's my shit. That's That's my bible right
0: now. Yeah, it's so funny you say that cuz like I didn't study with Lori Frank. I didn't go to NEC. I went to a different school and I loved my teacher and had a great experience there. But it wasn't really until I got that book and started working out of it exclusively that my range completely changed. I mean, it was that book that went – like, I was – I mean, like, for those of you that don't play brass instruments, I know there's a lot of people that don't play brass instruments that listen to this podcast. It's like on a piano, you can walk up to a piano and you can play the highest note, but on a brass instrument, there is no highest note. It's just like it's a it's a mix of physics and, and, and strength and uh, probably heavier on the physics – which is part of what Flex has taught me.
1: Oh my gosh. This book has changed everything for me. What I like about it too is that um, it's pretty descriptive. I think one of the problems I've run into with with books in the past is they they give you only the most brief, like, oh, make sure that you breathe correctly when you play this. Yeah. You know? And then uh, you're kind of just left to struggle with the rest of the exercises. Like I think some early editions of Arben's, You know they didn't have much and that's that's been kind of rectified with with some um newer releases but the flexus book is like it it tells you how to practice it tells you why and then the exercises are actually structured in a way where they start out almost so easy you can't believe it um you can just spend so much time like uh working on those lowest partials of the trumpet, which are typically the the easier ones for most brass players. You're just you're playing low notes and you're starting with breath attacks and things like that. But then the upper end of it is just forever. No matter how good you are, you can like find a part where of the book where you're like, Oh, okay, like I require more technique for this, but you can work out of, like for me personally, I can work out of the book for like two hours and still. And not feel like my my actual physical lips are hurting, which is kind mm. of one of the problems that we, we run into as trumpet players is like the the tone production becomes harder. Your lips start to deteriorate, but it feels yeah, very natural or something. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But it feels very natural. And a lot of the exercises require you to have almost no pressure in order to yep. get the right kind of flexibility. You know, that's oh, why yeah. It's called flexus, but yeah, dude, it's changed everything for me.
0: Yeah, keeping it light on the face is really the key with that book. And I think that's a big thing that helped me was trying to imagine that. And it's like still, I'll press, you know, but
1: yeah, not
0: like I was, I think. Well,
1: you know what I tell all, all my uh, students is when you practice, use good technique and build and don't deteriorate. And then when it's time to play the gig, rip it.
0: Yeah, you, go just, after just, it.
1: just go after it. Like what, you know. <laughs> That just play the music at that point.
0: I love that mindset, man, because you really have to have that. You can't be, like, worried that the thing's not going to work. It's like you just have to have that killer instinct, and that's going to increase the chances that you miss fewer notes and play better, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So what do you got going on now?
1: Well, now that I'm feeling healthy, um, yeah. it's kind of funny. I was actually I, – I watched this TikTok recently that talked about – um the science of uh, recency bias in how we judge ourselves. Yeah. And the idea is that if you ask somebody, how different are you now than you were 10 years ago? People will tell you all these ways in which their values have changed and who they are as a person, how it's grown so much. And then when you ask them, well, how different do you think you're going to be in 10 years? They're like, oh, probably not that different. <laughs> you just <laughs> you have no sense of like what that could actually be. So right yeah. now I'm feeling like, oh, this is this is the a whole new Shane and I've, I've changed so much. I'm feeling healthy and I'm inspired and I live in Minneapolis where I'm going to live for the rest of my life. And I've built these connections and we're going to do all this crazy stuff. Um, that's definitely how I'm feeling right now. Um, so I've got uh funky spuds, which is this band that I was playing with in California where I play tuba, but it's not a brass band. We play dope funk and like all the best funk. Um, and I've got my pedal board. So I get all my crazy sounds and cool. I got David Feely shredding on guitar. Nice. And, uh, and, we, you know, uh, so anyways, we, our songs are actually just about to come out. Um, the masters just came in. And so now it's just a, um, a question of my release strategy, which yeah, well, is for the most part, you know, clicking go live on the website and then booking some shows and, Doing it the real way, building a community. Um, right. Yeah, but those are going to come out soon. I just don't know awesome. exactly when. And then uh, I got a brass band too with uh, all those guys we were talking about. And It's it's basically the same thing. It's like Funky Spuds brass band, I guess we'll call it. And it's uh, Riley Helgeson and Scott Agster and all of the awesome New Orleans style brass players that I've met in the area through like Jack Brass and McNasty. Um, yeah. Great Minneapolis brass bands that everyone should check out. So, uh, so I'm doing my own thing with them where once again, I'm playing tuba, but I'm kind of deconstructing the brass band thing a little bit, getting, getting hyphy, doing my octave skips and playing too many notes and letting everyone else do some of that as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's mostly that. It's like getting these projects going and I want to do like music videos. And, um, so, you know, getting the videographers and all that stuff in place. I just, I want to put art out into the world. I'm very excited about it. And, uh, That's kind of my goal for this next year is just to put out a lot of stuff. Awesome. Tell tell some stories.
0: Great. So we have some stuff to look forward to. I'll link all your stuff in the show description, the Twitch, your social handles. And then if you've got that website that you hit live on, eventually send it to me and I'll I'll add it to the description of this episode because people will watch this, listen to it far after it has come out. Uh, Dude, thank you for taking the time to hang with me. I appreciate your insights.
1: Oh, thanks so much for having me. I feel like this uh, I feel like this flew by. I really enjoyed talking to you.
0: Yeah, totally. It did fly by. All right. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, man. Have a good one. You too. If you really like the podcast, wherever you're listening, like and subscribe. Give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Write a little review on Apple Podcasts because that helps the show show up on other people's feeds, which will help us grow. Tell a friend that you dig it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Appreciate you.